This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. It's called the CIA Worldwide Intelligence Review. It's a highly classified product. What's unfortunate, I would tell you as an intelligence officer, is that it's a very classified product. So to see it out in the press is a little disturbing. But former CIA officer Douglas London takes a deep look at why it's out there. I think it means that the agency is still trying to get its message heard in the community and among policymakers to do its job to say, you know, this isn't a hoax, this isn't fake news. The Russians are, in fact, uh, working still their complex program, and, and there's consequences for that based on what we do or don't do. And I can guarantee you, you're about to hear some things you haven't heard anyone else say. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Washington Post reported this week that the CIA's highly classified worldwide intelligence review contained an assessment that indicated Russian President Vladimir Putin is probably directing a Russian foreign influence operation to interfere with the 2020 presidential election by denigrating former Vice President Joe Biden, a candidate for president. While that may not seem like it's new, according to Douglas London, a former member of the CIA's clandestine service, it is new. If it's in that review, it is new information. It may be about an old topic, but it's new information. But he also says some other things that I can pretty much guarantee. You haven't heard anybody that's currently working for the CIA or that's left the CIA say, particularly about why the CIA had not released this specific assessment or others related to Russia. This week, your former agency, it was reported and the uh, we knew this. <clears throat> albeit we didn't know the specifics of what was reported, that they had um, pretty high confidence that the, the uh, interference campaign uh, being run by Russia into the uh, Joe Biden presidential bid was being essentially uh, run by Vladimir Putin. What's your thought on that or view on that? Well, the product to which you're referring is from the uh, World Intelligence Review, which is... Um, really a very strong product that the agency puts out, the analytical directorate, on a daily basis. It covers all issues of the world as well as um, you know, geographic and functional alike. Uh, it's, um, it's intended for senior policymakers, but below the level of the president, uh, below the level of the cabinet secretary who would get the um, president's daily brief. So it tends to be a little more targeting for people who have some substance, but the articles themselves are rather short. Uh, no more than a page, a couple of paragraphs, really. And they're done by the experts, generally for the experts. So 
if you're um, an officer in an agency or let's say uh, DOD, you have to show reason to have interest in a particular area of the wire to get its reporting. So the report uh, that you're referring to comes from the Russian experts in the agency. And it's basically a continuation of the story that they've been telling analytically in the community about Russia's disinformation, its uh, desire to, to have Trump remain as president after installing him, and how it's using you know, a very complex system of messaging, agents of influence, uh, contacts and such to, to advance their own agenda. What's unfortunate, I would tell you as an intelligence officer, is that it's a very classified product, so to see it out in the press is a little disturbing because that's a concern for those people who cooperate with the agency and provide the intelligence that allows us to develop those products. But that seems to be uh, kind of a trend these days um, in terms of what it means. I think it means that the agency is still trying to get its message heard in the community and among policymakers to do its job to say, you know, this isn't a hoax, this isn't fake news. The Russians are, in fact, uh, working still their complex program, and, and there's consequences for that based on what we do or don't do. That's the question that I wanted to get to, Douglas, is that, yes, this is a highly classified product, and as you have uh, said, this is a, uh, a very, I guess, good product by uh, intelligence standards, and, um, so, and and it's not new, the information that was in this this product uh, regarding Vladimir Putin. But what I do think is interesting, and maybe um, some you could call it uh, new, but maybe not to uh, any uh, great degree, is that it was leaked by someone who saw it. And I want to ask you, what does that tell you about what's going on in the minds of people who have access to this stuff in the intelligence community? (laughs) Well, let me circle back to your first point. Uh, If the wire came out August 31st, it was based on new information. The conclusion might be the same, that Putin is directing this disinformation campaign to keep Trump in office, but the analysts would not have produced a wire unless there was new reporting that further elaborated or were value-added in some way. So I would tell you that means the information is rather current and, and shows a continuation of the same story. In terms of the motivations of those leaking, uh, it's it's a bad time in the intelligence community. Uh, I don't think, personally, uh, having served, there's there's a right to leak. I think you have to use the system when there's grievances. But on balance, you've got a White House that has undermined the process for whistleblowers, that has undermined the process of review and, and has tried to mitigate against oversight in terms of Congress, the Senate, and the House. So I can understand what some people are thinking, that they feel obligated to take it on their own to do something. It's unfortunate that's how it has to be done. Um, but, you know, I, I saw another article today in uh, Politico uh, by Natasha Bertrand and, and company, and she's, she has some good insights. And she's talking about Director Haskell's role and being perhaps a bit of an impediment these days. And I think that perception is going to, unfortunately, influence some to make poor decisions because they may be getting an issue aired, but it could be the cost of protecting our own security by the loss of that stream of collection that we might lose when 
sources stop reporting or get compromised. Could you drill down a bit on what you mean by uh, Director Haspel being an impediment and and poor decisions on the other part? Well, uh, Director Haspel is a micromanager on a good day, uh, and she always has been. Um, but I think she's very focused. In fact, I know she's very focused on controlling the narrative coming out of the agency that will reach the White House. Uh, I, I would not accuse her of squashing intel or cooking the intel. I, I never saw that uh, while I served with her while she was director and deputy director for two years. But I did see her throw roadblocks up, making it harder for assessments to make it through the system uh, if they were going to cause some embarrassment. They would eventually make it through, indeed, but uh, the political article speaks about the involvement, the great involvement of the general counsel, who's the senior lawyer in the agency and, and is actually a political appointee. And uh, general counsels can be very, they could, they could take the authority they have to become more involved and interventionalist, but only when they're directed by um, the director of the agency, which um, if the article has, has truth to it, Ms. Haspel has done. And I have seen her do that in terms of using process to make it a little bit harder, uh, using authorities and using budget to make it harder, uh, to make it, you know, a question of is it worth our while to keep pushing an issue that she's not going to like squash because she's not going to take the chance on being accused of cooking the intel, but just to make it sort of process wise a little heavier in terms of taskers showing your homework, getting uh, additional coordination and consensus, and getting it through, you know, at this point, the attorneys who should not have a role. And I know the agency spokesman said the attorneys don't have a role. That's just really not a reflection of truth. Technically, they are supposed to only look at the legality of what we do, but they, they take it a little bit further, some more than others. And general counsels have been known to do that, to sort of take a position uh, as usually directed by the by the director themselves. So uh, that's a problem. I think the story is believable. Um, in terms of the damage, when leaks are out, to your point, though, you know, you have to consider the people who are risking their all to cooperate with us. Whatever their motivations, if it's, you know, patriotic, opportunistic, mercenary, they're still risking themselves, their family, and, and perhaps their lives by working with us. When you're reading in the international press about the Durham investigation, about leaks, about compromises, about the president himself perhaps being an agent of the Russian government, it's going to put that in the mind of those who think, can I trust cooperating with the agency or any U.S. intel service to provide my secrets when it can come back to me when they have responsibility for my lives? So I, I, I always take umbrage at leaks. I'm, I'm always happy with, you know, journalists like yourself to put things in context, but when you're actually compromising classified information, you're doing more harm than good. What you said about Director Haspel and the, I guess, what amount to roadblocks, um, is she doing that, to your knowledge, to protect the agency from the wrath of the White House or what? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Director Haspel would like to say or like to have her own narrative be that what she's doing, she's doing to protect the agency. Um, but I, I believe it's really more about Ms. Haspel protecting her own position and her own future. Um, 
to protect the agency would be standing up for its charter, its integrity, and not allowing the community or the workforce to be compromised in any way by the White House. Now, I know she works for the president, so there's a balance that she has to keep. But the, the, the trials and tribulations the agency has faced in terms of the president's public persona, but also the shifts in alignment of mission and resources to conform with the president's political prerogatives and personal interests, that's not always consistent with what the national security needs are. So I, I think it's unfortunate that Ms. Haspel has put her own ambition before herself, but would be among those who have served in the Trump White House to say, well, I'm trying to keep the president from doing more damage, and I'm trying to protect my agency. I, I, I'm afraid I think that's a bit uh, much of ego. And there's some personalities here as well. The, um, the head of the mission center responsible for Russia uh, was a former um, seventh floor deputy under Brennan. And in fact, he was um, one of the leaders when Brennan put us through the modernization, which affected a great number of changes, some of which have been reversed. Uh, Ms. Haspel, her deputy director for operations and the current mission center chief are not all best of friends and are not always saying things in line, but I, I think she's reluctant to fire him. Uh, she's tried to encourage his retirement as she had in the past, but I, I think she's concerned about how that will appear. So you have that dynamic going on as well inside the agency in terms of how its, its reporting is being shaped or how its resources are being spent. And, and I think that doesn't facilitate greater pushback on the part of the agency against what the Russians are doing and, uh, in effect, limits our, our ability to undermine the Russian election interference efforts. What you say sounds really unfortunate um, when you consider the reality of what the U.S. is facing at this point. Uh, and I would imagine the consternation that may be inside the agency and, of course, the the... Uh, I guess the uh, the issues that exist between the leadership there um, is precisely what Russia would like. It's precisely what Vladimir Putin has been hoping for over time, at least in part, by getting involved in, 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 in trying to get uh, drilling, in, in getting into a position where he can actually impact um, the relationship between the intelligence community and and the president, I would imagine all of this is exactly what Vladimir Putin was hoping for. Well, I would I would agree with your point. Uh, for the Russians, it's very much addition through subtraction. They try to compensate for their own weaknesses and challenges by weakening threats to them, and the greatest threat to them would be the United States, as well as our system of democracy. So you read frequently about how uh, even those who might challenge that the Russians favor Trump are at least willing to acknowledge where they're trying to sow chaos. Well, it's, it's far beyond that. They're trying to weaken and undermine the United States. And to your point, doing just what you're saying, uh, anything they could do to stifle the intelligence community's strength, to weaken our defensive posture, and to sow questions about our fundamental values and laws and democracy all serves to keep us distracted from being a problem for them. So it's really far beyond, I would imagine, what Putin ever expected. But then again, how difficult this White House has been for our country is far beyond anything I would have expected uh, in 2016. So looking at the, the 
what we started off with here, the fact that um, Russia is doing this, Vladimir Putin, and according to you, you, you said that the fact that this made it into that product um, suggests that there is new reporting or new information, new evidence that, that, that Putin is involved. Um, that, that being said, um, this seems to me to reflect uh, a, a pretty high-stakes situation for Putin uh, if he's hands-on in this, or is it just ego? No, I think it's very practical on his point. It's the way he he runs his affairs and and the way he deals, particularly with security issues. I think he's really in the driver's seat here, and I think that, if you would, is a great deal of where his leverage exists over Trump. Because uh, take whatever position you will, and from the far extreme that Trump's a witting agent or collaborator to Trump's just a codependent. Uh, on the relationship that they have because it serves one another's interests. Putin is in a position to to make Trump look weak, to make Trump look like a liar or whatever if he wants to. So he actually exercises a great deal of leverage whether or not there's actually any compromise, any actual blackmail to begin with. And, and you know, the more you see about finances, that, that might exist, but it's no longer necessary. And I think in Trump's and uh, Putin's mind, anyway, it's a very practical approach to the bilateral relations and and his endeavor to grow Russia's power and influence internationally. He's he's a historian as well and comes from an intelligence background. He sees the history of Russia as an empire, and I think you see a lot of his actions in the future are based on things that have occurred in the past in Russian history in terms of its challenges and its successes as an empire, and thus the use of the denial and deception campaigns of disinformation and the leverage that he has grown over a president who will not say a critical word of any sort for any reason about Putin just makes it much easier when the Russians don't even have to come up with stuff. They could simply, as I've seen the press catch on to, just amplify what Trump is saying himself. This looks to me, uh, Mr. London, like Russia really has the U.S. over a barrel at this point. I mean, that may be going too far or taking it to an extreme, but it looks as though they have us over a barrel. That's one thing I'd like you to, to comment on. The second thing is, how far how far will they go to, uh, how far will Putin go to, uh, I guess, execute his will over the U.S.? I, I think uh, Russia is in a very good position when you have, you know, the, the large body of the GOP itself, which used to be the most fervent about dealing with the Russian threat and used to accuse the Democrats about being weak in Russia, are, are looking at Russia as a benign uh, actor as opposed to the malign actor that it is. I think Putin has to be smart enough not to push it too far. And right now he has the great luxury of not having to because so much of his work is being done for him by the Trump White House and the GOP. So he has to take care uh, not to go too far, not to have a confrontation like uh, as occurs from time to time in Syria between U.S. and Russian troops, turn U.S. public opinion against him and then in turn against Trump. I think the bounty story was, was a close call, but the news cycle that it is in the United States just sort of moved past that so very quickly, and there were enough naysayers, including those uh, among the flag officers who sort of reshaped the goal lines by saying, well, for the bounties, we didn't, uh, I didn't see intel to connecting 
a specific amount of money for a specific attack, which sort of changed the narrative from that, well, the Russians are simply providing money to incentivize uh, Taliban attacks. So he is in a good place and probably can sort of coast a bit right now and let things uh, develop as they will naturally, yeah, unless, of course, there is a, a Trump defeat, which, you know, personally, I think that would be the best for United States national security interest, given the current circumstances. But for the moment, uh, he can let things play out naturally. There was a time when we thought that Russian agents coming into the U.S. with weapons and taking over the country uh, at gunpoint and imprisoning our elected leaders and essentially turning this into uh, a, a Russia satellite, albeit a very large satellite, was, I think, the ultimate fear of many people decades ago. But it seems to me that something of this has taken place anyway, even though on a much lesser level or scale, based on what Putin's been able to achieve. And I'm interested in hearing what your thoughts are on on whether I'm out of line with that thinking. Well, I think Russian uh, victory, if you would, is simply the neutralization of the United States as a threat. There's no need to go through all that. There's no need for, you know, the the... The, the action movie version of Red Dawn of the Russians occupying the United States to achieve what they need to achieve. The Russians want to be a global power. They want to be the more dominant global power if they can. Uh, they are economically and militarily inferior to what the United States can project. So by neutralizing the United States as a threat, they achieve their victory. They create their their room to extend Russian influence, extend Russian power, which comes with economic uh, advantages as well for Russia. So I, I think uh, you have to determine what the end is. And the end is Putin wants Russia to continue to expand its power and influence and, and uh, profit economically from that. To do that, it means neutralizing the threat from the United States. It does not require invasion or occupation. It requires keeping the United States either distracted or weakening the United States. And over the four years of the Trump presidency, uh, Putin has done very well uh, in achieving those aims. I guess the final thing I would ask you about that is, is there a way to turn this clock back? Is there a way to counteract what they've achieved? I, I absolutely believe there is. Uh, there's a fair bit of damage that has been wrought. Uh, we've, from just open press reporting, you can see we've lost certain capabilities in terms of realignment of military forces, realignment of mission, realignment of focus. But it's not like we've, you know, jumped off the wall and, and run the other way. There's inherent U.S. defenses, inherent U.S. programs and efforts and intelligence activities going on that can always be ramped up and can always be refocused. But uh, as you can see, even from the likes of this report that we're talking about that came out of the CIA wire, have not been abandoned, thankfully. They've just not been as robust as perhaps they need to be and ideally will be again in a few months. Anything you want to add to this that I haven't asked you about that you think is important, Doug? I think it's, again, about making sure people understand the sources of information they're getting and what the consequences are. Um, I think they need to look at the history of our country and its values and, and where we have been in terms of the Russian-U.S. dynamic. Our history with Russia isn't the last four years. It goes back well over 70 years to 
when um, at least the, the communist first took over and the end of the Cold War and what happened after that. So it's easy for Americans to get lost in the moment, but it, it's, it's important for them to look at the big picture and take things in context without jumping to whatever the latest sensational political headline is and, and whatever the, the, the latest messaging is of, of a particular political party. I guess I do have another question based on what you were saying, and it has more to do with just not understanding, given what you've said, given what the agency, this very report, this very product that you're talking about has said, given what people like Fiona Hill, who is a very reputable and notable uh, Russia expert who served in the U.S. government for, for years, have warned lawmakers and people in the country that Russia is pulling the wool over some of our eyes or Russia is actually feeding us disinformation and they're ignoring that and going ahead and espousing what they're espousing. I guess I just don't really understand. Well, I guess I do understand what's happening, but the question is why would they do that? Why are they doing that? Why are they ignoring these warnings? Well, that's where I, I, I'm, I'm just more a common citizen as, as, a, as a voter and a civilian here as opposed to an intelligence officer looking at our adversaries. Uh, but politics is politics worldwide. It's about power. And right now, the, the road to power, at least for um, President Trump and the GOP, is to uh, amplify that narrative that the Russians are not a threat, that uh, Trump was elected legitimately, and that uh, we need to be less distracted by generally issues abroad, and particularly the Russians, and focus more here on the United States, which I think is very uh, familiar with what we heard before World War II and, and the isolationism that, that came from that, which also was based, sadly, in some cases, on racial prejudices and, and, and ethnic perspectives. So. It's about power, uh, and right now, if uh, the president and the GOP believes that's the road to power, then it's not about right or wrong in their minds. It's about maintaining and securing that power for as long as they can. Douglas London, we greatly appreciate you taking time to talk to us and to put this all into perspective, and I dare say that some of what you've told me is, uh, I, I don't think anybody has said any of this publicly before. Uh, and I thank you very much for saying what you've said and being candid about what you've said. It's always a pleasure, JJ. Thank you very much for your reporting on these issues. I could promise you that next week we're going to talk about a certain topic, but then there's a strong likelihood I may have to renege on that promise. So I won't make it. I will just say to you this week, there's election security going on. There's a serious problem in Belarus that's going on. There's the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. There's situational violence that is likely to erupt in the U.S. because of racial tensions and numerous other things dealing with the military, cyber activity, or other national security matters that may take precedence. So we'll just wait and see what happens. But in the meantime, I can absolutely guarantee you it will be top flight what we're talking about next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the show, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, 
One word at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. Green at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast, and we'd ask that you follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, if you want more national security information, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, I'm Andito Cristian Perez. I had to use the real name. Why? Because now it's the podcast. From negative to positive, which you can catch on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Flow to the rider. I don't even know if you know how much they play you around the world or anywhere, my brother. No matter how much bread we make, dog, we can't take it with us. No right. matter how many houses, cars, whatever we acquire, can't take it with us. With that said, anything we make is always to give back, dog. Why are we starting a podcast? Well, it's real simple. With the times that we're living in right now in the world, I think you need to be motivated, inspired, educated, aware, positive. So what I'm here is just to motivate the world and let them know when we talk, we call a spade a spade. So you're going to hear the truth. So I look forward to the podcast. I look forward to showing y'all, teaching y'all how to take it from a negative to a positive. So get ready. From negative to positive, which you can catch on Apple Podcast, Podcast One, and Spotify. Now, stay tuned.